This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And this is our April 2022 bonus episode. April is the cruelest pod. The Ooh, coolest the cruelest pod. pod. Oh, yeah. That is. Is, this, is that why we did this? You know, you know I did not plan that. Okay, so yeah, that's why we did this. That's yes. why we chose this poem this month. Yes, uh, <laughs> and so we we are going to be talking about uh, T. S. Eliot's "The Space Waste Space Land." Yeah, he's very insistent yep. about that. Um, and we have our Patreon supporters in the chat. Go to Patreon.com/slash/OverduePod for more information on how you can join future live streams, which I sure will not be about modernist poetry anytime soon well see you know it's easier to sort of riff on and have fun with like say a novelization of the sonic the hedgehog movie than it is with what is regarded as one of the great works of modernist poetry yes you know? uh-huh you know um, uh but we're gonna we're gonna do it and we're gonna see how it goes i'm in my new office everybody can see yes yeah. there's, there's some boxes you can see back wait Back there. Yep. There. <laughs> it's all out of frame. <laughs> and there's even more out of frame and my closet's a mess and everything's a mess. But I'm here. Yeah. And you've done a great job I, on your house so far. You're I living blankets, there. I got blankets up on the walls mm-hmm. to help with the echo a little bit for yeah. all the good it's doing. Um, yeah. And so that's, you know, we definitely picked this poem because... Because it's April. Because it it's mentions April. the month of April. Mm-hmm. And not because... Both of us have had a lot going on, and we wanted to cover something of some import, but also maybe something shorter than a novel that we could talk about together for a podcast that people want to listen to. Uh, so this was kind of like, I don't know when we were ever going to cover T.S. Eliot for the show and what his deal was, and I was thinking about what in his oeuvre might make the most sense this is one i'd heard of i don't know if you read any t.s Eliot in oh, school absolutely not no <laughs> i think i read proof rock the, the love song of j alfred thereof um in, it sounds like an after school sort of animated <laughs> oh proof special rock? about math or something yeah proof rock um i think i read that I'm in, just a proof yeah i'm just a proof <laughs> I read that in high school, but I don't remember anything about it. Um, and yeah, we're getting some some references to cats in the chat. So Elliot is not only responsible for the wasteland; he wrote what is it called? Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats, I believe it's called. Okay, which is a book of light verse published in 1939. And it was the basis for the musical Cats. Oh, good. 
which oh, good. bore the name Practical Cats up until they made the poster, and people were like, just drop the word practical. It looks better as cat. <laughs> you know what's cool? <laughs> drop the practical. Drop practical. Um, old Possum was a nickname of his. Uh, well, so good. I'm glad we have T.S. Eliot to blame for that and everything that sprung from it. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you're thinking about all the stuff James Corden did in that movie, you could just blame T.S. Eliot. No one else. It's, it's pretty telling, I think, that Cats was well, it was it was like the most the longest running Broadway show at the time that it went off. It might still yeah. be it's still up there. Like it ran forever and ever and ever. But every time anybody's tried to like, you know, recapture that lightning in a bottle, everyone's been like, This is kind of bonkers yep. stupid and bad yep it, well <laughs> and we shouldn't we, we should probably put it away <laughs> it, as someone who has never seen the musical cats it is my understanding that a lot i of, have but i was in eighth grade so i don't know that it counts a lot of its appeal actually comes from the fact that it is so bonkers and not a traditional musical like the fact that it's people dressed up as cats trying to sing their way into cat heaven like it's not structured as a narrative, really. So anybody who's like, why does why does a scene happen? And then they just stop and sing. Like, that doesn't happen. It's just cats singing. Uh-huh. So you could kind of just like, I don't know, I liked the cat song or not. And some people liked the cat song. Mm. But, yes, yeah, so, uh, Kate in the chat says, I blame the modernists for everything. And you know... Maybe. <laughs> it ain't wrong. Uh, should we- the, the thing I like about modernism is that there's some dispute, I guess, about whether these poems were originally there. This this poem, The Wasteland, is in five different like sections. And there's some discussion that I read about whether it was intended to be published all as one thing mm. or if it was just kind of sent to the – they were all sent to the editor at the same time. They all got grouped together. And because of modernism – yeah. You can't tell the difference between intentional and unintentional disjointedness. Yeah, that's true. That's it's a blessing and a curse. Double-edged yeah. sword. Other idioms. Um let's talk about the idiom we came to talk about today. Thomas Stearns You're an, you're, you're an idiom. Exactly. <laughs> Thomas Stearns Eliot, 1888 to 1965, born in St. Louis moved to England in 1914, became a British citizen in the 1920s. I loved England. I don't know if he invented going abroad and then never <laughs> stopping talking about it, but he's definitely one of the great ones. He's one of on the real account. great ones. Um, yeah. What else stood out to you about him, Andrew? Um, I think, I mean, he is yet another, ch- I made me, it made me think about Paul Newman because of, of our alma mater and oh. how they're changing, they're changing their mascot. They've just been on my mind lately. Okay. Uh, but he's yet another child who unable to participate in physical activity only then turned to the arts. What is up with <laughs> he that? Had, <laughs> he had a congenital hernia, I guess, that limited his physical activity. And so that's why he started reading and being a big book I just nerd. don't know how I feel about how, like that detail just keeps getting like you just he yeah he spent a lot of time inside he liked books it's like you can't if you are a man yeah before like 1950 or something yeah and you're interested in books it needs to be because the top tier man activities were unavailable to you for some reason (laughs) true true yeah 
Um, or you're drunk. Like that's the other option. I mean, or yeah. why not both? Yeah. Why, why maybe you're not participating in athletic activities because you love whiskey too much? Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, when he went to Harvard for his bachelor and master of arts, and then he got, he went to Oxford on scholarship. He did write to someone saying Oxford is very pretty, but I don't like to be dead. Uh, I don't yeah, think did he not liked love <laughs> Oxford, <laughs> but did love London, did love England. Uh huh. Um, what else about it? I, I know that he uh, started writing poetry at age 14 and his first poetry was published in his school newspaper in 1905. So he was, he was writing poetry from pretty young. Um, he, I know he had one unhappy marriage yeah. to uh, Vivian Haywood. Is that yes. how you pronounce that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she'd suffered from frequent physical and mental uh, illness and they'd separated but never divorced years later and she died in the mental hospital that her brother committed her to but she yeah. is a an inspiration point for and uh by most accounts suggested like edits and changes to the wasteland mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's relevant to talk about her a little bit yep um he said of her, I came to persuade myself that I was in love with Vivian simply because I wanted to burn my boats and commit myself to staying in England. To her, the marriage brought no happiness. To me, it brought the state of mind out of which came the wasteland. Yeah, he uh, in 1931 said, when I wrote a poem called The Wasteland, some of the more approving critics said that I had expressed the disillusion of a generation, referring to World War One, etc., which is nonsense. I may have expressed for them from expressed for them their own illusion of being disillusioned, but that did not form part of my intention and his life was falling apart personally <laughs> as he wrote this also oops and yeah world war one had happened and what does art mean and things of that nature uh, a lot of folks in the 20th century concerned with that yeah of course yeah. Um, and i also know that the poem itself was um, it was modernist partly because of uh, James Joyce's Ulysses, which he yep. had read like while he was writing it. Came out um, the same then, year, I think. So yeah. yeah. And then you also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, our boy Ezra Pound. Yeah, let's. Okay. Because he helped, he helped edit this and is responsible for this for the final form of it for sure like yeah. he, he made pretty extensive changes and, and cuts there's a, as an editor there's a couple things to talk about there so like yeah ezra pound uh born in 1885 he worked with a lot of folks like joyce and elliot and frost and williams william carlos williams and um there are quotes from pound kind of describing his early poems as like dramatic presentations and you get some of that. I think that is useful in terms of anybody reading the wasteland and being like, what is happening? And if you just like (laughs) think for a second that like anytime, maybe it sounds like a person is talking to someone else. Just think about, think about what the poem might be if that is true. And you can like make a little bit more sense of what is happening. Um, It is not a like confessional poetic form. It is, uh, an illusionary and dare I say remix culture poetic form. Um, you dared to say it, Elliot more than pound. Um, the uh, 
uh, Pound said to William Carlos Williams about the bitterness in his poems, it seems to me you might as well say that Shakespeare is dissolute in his plays because Falstaff is, or that the plays have a criminal tendency because there's murder done in them. He's talking about the characters in his poems not necessarily reflecting his own emotional state. He led a movement called Imagism, which he later renamed to Vorticism after Vortex, because, I don't know. Um <laughs> And I was expecting you to know. <laughs> I, I read like three paragraphs about it and I fell into a vortex. You fell into a vortex. And I think that's the intent of the of the movement. Yes. Um, and it's about like direct. What do you say? Direct treatment of the thing, the emotional like core of your subject. And it, it can be subjective or objective. Use absolutely no word that did not contribute to the presentation. And that is taken to mean, you know, you can look at that with the wasteland um and the fact that he apparently like helped condense it by at least like half um and also a lot of writing in vernacular or writing like not necessarily using poetic convention and and rhythm just for the sake of using it um and compose in sequence of the musical phrase not to sequence of a metronome there's stuff in this poem that is like iambic kind of conventional rhyming stuff and then there's stuff that looks like you know I think what I think it's called like concrete poetry, the stuff that E. E. Cummings does, where it's just like words falling down a page. It's not quite yeah. that, but it's a pre. It's short lines for the sake of rhythm and and stuff like that. And sounds. I think I, re- I remember reading that more of it was iambic, and Ezra Pound was like, Ugh, "Get this normie, <laughs> get this normie stuff out of here." That feels right, yeah. Um, and he was responsible. Pound was for publishing Proof Rock and The Wasteland. Um, I also want to mention. I want to mention. I want to mention the fact that Ezra Pound, uh, apparently in the like late 30s, was living in Italy, basically running a podcast about how cool Mussolini was <laughs> and how Roosevelt and U.S. bankers were causing the war. And he was What a- is it about guys named Ezra and podcasts, uh, you know? He was arrested for treason, but then declared mentally incompetent. Um, and it took like another 10 years to get him out of what facility he was in. Uh, it is, I would say that also because there's a lot of stuff in Elliot's record that would point to some anti-Semitism. Um, and there's, it's probably, I don't know, there's a bunch of good pieces about it. There's stuff in the, like in the 1980s around the centenary of his birth where people are like i don't know about this guy and people have been like we've been thinking of that for decades and other people are like yeah but he's a product of his time like all the stuff that you would imagine say for the microcosm of the yeah art separation of art and artists exactly exactly um and like there's stuff that he said in lectures that is particularly uh awful um but then he like deliberately never had it published and people are like, see, that means he knows it's wrong. And that also some of the stuff that is in his poetry, people use the same thing you did. You mentioned Andrew about like the origins of this work where it's like, well, he's all it's modernist. What does it, what could it, it could mean anything. The character could mean that that doesn't mean Elliot means that. Uh, and that's, which is you interesting. Mentioned that, you mentioned that thing earlier about like I'm not sad just because and mm-hmm. disaffected just because my characters are sad and disaffected, and, and 
like maybe that's maybe that's true. Yeah. But if it's a thing that comes up over and over again and like therapy for like for anybody but especially for white men hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe there is something under the surface there that you are not fully grappling with or or, or that yeah. 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 I'll just, I'll just say I don't know that you have plausible deniability on that one. No. Um, and so I read a great piece on the Poetry Foundation's poetry. And the bag, thing about him so, intentionally not publishing it, yeah. like That's, he didn't he didn't destroy it, yep. did he? Like there's some stuff that he destroyed yep. that he didn't want published, and he didn't destroy his like anti-Semitic stuff. So um piece by Leslie know. Wheeler for Poetry Magazine called Undead Elliot, How the Wasteland Sounds Now. That's a great piece if you want to go read it. And like I listened to the Alec Guinness version pretty good. Ooh pretty good by obi-wan um the the version i listened to by t.s Eliot was an utter snore fest um, <laughs> and uh the wheeler piece does a great job breaking down some of those differences but wheeler also writes about how in the late 20th century coming to the 21st Eliot is not like at the top of a lot of people's reading lists. Um, I'm just going to read this graph because it kind of charts the whole thing. Sure, do it. The paradigm shift, lowering Eliot's status, as David Chinitz puts it, occurred in the 80s. In 1989, Cynthia Ozick commented in The New Yorker on Eliot's reduced place in school curricula. Books by Christopher Ricks and slightly later, Anthony Julius brought Eliot's anti-Semitism to the fore. Also in the late 80s, a prize-winning essay by uh, Wayne Kostenbaum highlighted his misogynistic and homoerotic correspondences with Ezra Pound. Uh, Eliot's poetry of the teens and 20s communicates fear of women and often revulsion about their bodies, and Kostenbaum adds force to the point. This sentence got me, though. Then there was the Eliot's portrayal in the 1994 film Tom and Viv by Willem Dafoe, a.k.a. the Green Goblin. <laughs> Eliot is a synonym for tradition, but he also became, for readers attuned to his prejudices, a supervillain. <laughs> That's a called sticking the landing, my friends. I like AKA paragraph. the Green Goblin for a role that he played fully like 15 years later. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, he's just so indelible, I he suppose, really as is. the Green Goblin. Um, and then just refers to the wasteland. The resonance of the wasteland can be as faint and intermittent as a radio signal in the mountains. Just like it's out there. We're all living in a world after poets looked at the wasteland and had opinions about it. And Just like we're all living in a sort of a post cats world, and so we don't always need the original cats anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but but we are but we are shaped by it. Like it did. It was a very big, you know, landed in nineteen twenty two and was a big thing in the poetry world and the literary world. And critics of the poetry world were writing about it and talking about it. All the poets were critics themselves, and so it has this big effect whether or not anybody's still talking about it now as much as maybe they were seven sure. years ago. I mean, it's almost like we can sort of reevaluate works sort of organically as part of a, a good faith, like ongoing discussion about what we want to be like teaching and passing down. Huh. And it doesn't have to become some big moral panic that's about other stuff. Yeah, it's almost like that, Andrew. It's It's almost like that can just sort of happen naturally. Yeah. At like you know, like uh, composting, it re enriches. <laughs> so I'm thinking about my yard a lot. 
I had to build, uh, you know this, I had to build a whole net structure over my raised bed to prevent a, a stray from pooping in it. So Cat pee. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, but also, like... I got a, I got a whole menagerie back there. I got a groundhog. <laughs> I got a raccoon. You got do? a bunch of birds, like including some specific birds that I see all the time. Yeah. This is good. You don't. If you, I ever, if if I ever need to like change into a gown, and I I think I can just open the window and start singing, and they'll all have to come in and help me get dressed. <laughs> Would you call? It's not a wasteland out there. No, it's not a wasteland. I mean, there are wastelandish elements, but once. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a lot, a lot of uh, it's teeming with life. Okay. Okay. Snakes. Saw some snakes. Yeah. Um, Fun. So should we dive in? What does diving in feel like to you, Andrew? I mean, I think the first thing to address is we have done this podcast for 500 and something episodes, and I don't think we've done a poem before ever, like not counting sort of an epic poem thing like uh like the Odyssey or some of the long read stuff that we've done. Like we, I don't think we've ever specifically sat down and been like Let's do some poetry. Yeah. Yes, we have not. We've done Dante. We've done Homer. We've done Shakespeare. And all three of those, as you you know mentioned, are either epic or have some sort of narrative to them or multiple characters. They are not just poetry. And I don't mean that derogatorily to poetry. Um, I also feel like we ha- we've, I don't know, maybe like poems are generally pretty short. And so, you, like, <laughs> we would have to do a collection, I feel, to do some authors justice. And I don't, I just haven't spent enough time thinking about how we would do that in the same well, way. Well, and, and I think there are some kinds of poetry that would work. Like, this poem, and, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to see how the conversation, just, like, feels. I, I feel like this poem and this kind of poetry is actually less good of a fit than if you're talking about something a little bit more straightforward or, or yeah. maybe like intentionally comedic, like a Shel Silver scene or something that, sort of comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, like th- this is going to be a complicated discussion. And, 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 it's, and it's one of the things that makes me bounce off a lot of poetry is it is like short in terms of page space and word count. But poets are and Elliot is like they are frequently like sort of every line is its own little thing that needs to be unpacked and you do need to be like on top of every single illusion and and reference and symbol in a way that you know if you're reading like a novel or something that stuff can be in there but normally the author is using it as a way to like further what is whatever is going on in the narrative where in we're in a poem like it doesn't the have way to. The, yeah. the way that the specific words have been like sort of constructed and stuck together is more of the point does yes. that make sense oh yeah and i'm sure that there are like terms and and tools that if either of us were phds in poetry uh we could talk about but we are not so we're just- heads <laughs> dang <laughs> That's what PhD stands for. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yes, as as uh, Kitty says in the chat, poems are short in length but dense in meaning. So sometimes it ends up being a wash in how much total time it takes. Yeah, they are not. It's like it's like eating 
like a real like it's not like eating a piece of popcorn i mean some poetry like is like popcorn it's like but. it's like tapas like you can mm. you can eat a bunch of them and they're really expensive but then at the end you're you're like did i eat <laughs> sometimes sure. you know yeah you know what i mean um and i do think overall i i was taken with the vibes of this poem as as our chat is talking about now vibes um but and and there are individual images that I, that stood out to me and that's probably how i'm meant to experience it on the first pass right like i don't know am i supposed to my very first read of this poem like have the encyclopedia next to me looking am i supposed to be on ts Eliot's the wasteland.wikia.com which is uh-huh. like or fandom.com which is a real place that i is currently <laughs> overheating my laptop like mm-hmm. am i supposed to be there i don't know he did publish those notes at the end though where he cops to not knowing what tarot cards are but he put them in there because he thought they were cool <laughs> he yeah he put them in there because he thought they were cool the, the, the my favorite thing about the like the footnotes at the end of this is that he only did them because his publisher was like this needs to be longer if we're gonna publish it as its own book <laughs> yeah Heck, when ezra pound's like i made it shorter though it's like come on <laughs> you knobs um yeah it's 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 also this as you said like this poem is about uh a lot of things but like one thing that's doing a lot of is mixing and matching and smashing up allusions to various works of art to other stories to events that were very recent as of 1922 and and it is very fractured it this is one of those things where like the I feel like oh no art is broken we have we all we have is fragments is kind of a cliche at this point when we look back at like post World War 1 but that was like a pretty fresh take back then I think. Well, we, yeah, a lot- people were still people were still working through their stuff as as we mentioned therapy for white men was yeah. was decades and decades like perhaps 80 years away from being invented (laughs) so uh he referred to this poem as a piece of rhythmical grumbling Mm -hmm. i don't know what you think about that do you have do you have like a take on that i think it is rhythmic i think it is grumbly i think that (laughs) perhaps undersells the oh this is what oh it's uh it does it undersells the number of voices that are in this poem and the original name of the poem was he do the police in different voices <laughs> which is a quote from a dickens book can't imagine why that title got changed <laughs> he do the police in different voices um and so there's this whole motif in this poem of a lot of different characters speaking. And then like midway through, he's like, I don't know. What if all the characters are represented by Tiresias from Greek myth? Mm-hmm. Think about it. Okay. So what'd you, so what'd you like? What, what's some stuff you liked? Let's talk about the first part. Let's talk about the first part. Um, this is one of the, 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 if you know a line from the wasteland without knowing that, you know, it, it's the first line of this poem uh so the first section this poem has five sections first one's called the burial of the dead april is the cruelest month 
breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. And it goes on to talk about uh, April and spring writ large being this force for like, not not a force of optimism, but a force of like, ah, oh, this crap again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like renewal, I think, but it's also like coming with painful memories. Yes. Like uh-huh. memories in this case, not being like a, a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and overall, just not being able to focus enough on the new stuff because it also unearths all this memory of, of old stuff. Yep. Uh, winter kept us warm, covering earth and forgetful snow, feeding a little life with dried tubers. Winter's great. Winter covers up everything. You don't need to think about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to keep talking about therapy, but <laughs> winter's great. <laughs> and then summer is just like, yeah, it was in summer. We had a nice time and we like went out and we chatted for like an hour and it was great. Yeah. Yeah. He just talks about a cool thing that he did one summer, and that's why summer is good. <laughs> I think somewhere in he in here he's referencing the Canterbury Tales, and I don't know where. I found an infographic <laughs> called Visual Guide to References in T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland um, okay. at BernieTan.com. It's pretty funny um, because you can just see line by line how much of it is other stuff which is really what this this poem is all about but Mm -hmm. um and yeah and then there's some references to a german girl named marie um who's also having memories they don't seem like amazing memories i'm not sure what you think girl no this is the hyacinth girl is next but um but then he goes on to talk about um, what are the roots that clutch what branches grow out of this stony rubbish son of man you cannot say or guess for you know only a heap of broken images where the sun beats and the dead tree gives no shelter the cricket no relief and the dry st- stone no sound of water um, so yeah this like we're all Again, just making me think about my yard Thinking <laughs> <laughs> about all the weeds trying to grow up from amongst the stones and it's it's life finding a way but it's also like ugly and I want it all gone you know <laughs> Um, but yeah, you're right. Cause then we get like the memory of the hyacinth girl. Um, and then we get the, then we get the, the clairvoyant, Madame Sosistress, Sosistress, the tarot reader. Famous clairvoyante. And she's, I don't think it's, I don't know that it's supposed (laughs) to be pronounced. It is clairvoyante. And it is, that's the way it's written. It's worth noting that like there, you can read this poem with like a feeling that there is some sort of singular poet or speaker. Maybe it's uh, Teresius. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's something else. I mean, the hyacinth girl, her thing is in quotes. And so like, yeah, she's going to be talking to somebody, right? Yes. And there, there are times when characters are speaking in quotes and then someone else like responds out of quotes. That's in part two, I think. And it's well. There's also some stuff with uh, Stetson, yes, in the, in the Unreal City. Coming yes, up. in the Unreal City. So yeah, we get this tarot reading um, where he makes up a bunch of tarot cards uh, from his notes. <laughs> I am not familiar with the exact constitution of the tarot pack of cards from which I have obviously departed to suit my own convenience. <laughs> okay, okay, dude. Yeah, he makes up 
the Phoenician sailor and Belladonna, the lady of the rocks. But he mostly just wanted to do a tarot deck so that he could include the hangman, the hanged man, excuse me, Mm -hmm. Um, which he also says is a reference to later in his poem. All right. All right. What do you want to say about what do you want to say about Unreal City, a.k.a. Take me down, Craig, to the Unreal City where the grass is green, where the fog is brown and the girls are pretty. (laughs) Um, This is the zombie march on London Bridge, right? Yeah, it's just like this is this is London, and maybe you've heard that it's ugly and gross here with brown fog. <laughs> yeah, and what he's talking to somebody who died in the war. There's a there's probably. a big Stetson. crowd of people walking along London Bridge. They all look sad, and yeah, then he identifies a guy named Stetson. It's unclear to me. I'm sure the scholarship has an answer. If this I'm is sure a, they, I'm sure a dead guy from the war or he knew someone but it's all about it seems to be about loss and grief and and talks about a corpse being buried in the yard and then they he yells at stetson for a while mm-hmm. uh, yeah the uh, battle of and so it's it's oh, mixing right. it's it's mixing stuff as, as elliot is is want to do like usually it's like world war one and some battle from antiquity in this in this case it mentions uh somebody uh Quote, you who were with me in the ships at Miley, which is a battle from the Punic War. Yeah. Yes. Famously not a part of the First World War. But like famously a fa- one of the like a failed conflict or, like, you know, one where there's lots of loss. Um, and I think who is it? Uh, Nell in the chat said, I used to think of Unreal City when I took the subway to work. So like Unreal City is a thing that gets said a number of times in the poem and it all, a lot of times it has its own line. And so in both of the versions I listened to, it kind of gets its own space. Like someone just like it's unreal city and it, whatever version of the speaker you're thinking of is like taking time to take in whatever city they're looking at um, and ponder. It. And that's just one of the things that the poem is like doing structurally, I guess that's like a very minor example um when it's not doing because so far the poem is except for like when he's in german um for fun the the poem looks like poetry like it looks like there's like lines and stanzas and things and you you hit a rhyme every once in a while i I read so we got this um this collection the wasteland and other poems and i i read all the other poems in it and maybe we could just talk about some of the other ones i liked in here yeah sure uh toward the end but um I don't remember what my point was. Oh, just like the style of poetry and the oh yes, yeah, yeah. Some sometimes you'll hit a you'll hit a poem that that is more uh, strict about adhering to like rhyme and, and meter and stuff. Mm, okay. And this poem, you'll hit like snippets of it, but it's not. It doesn't get into a sort of a Seussian sort of no. <laughs> well, it, rhythm at, rhythm at any point. They seem think. to be confined to like specific vignettes. Like the, when he moves in and out of those forms, it's often because he's like moving to a different set of characters or yeah. something yeah. like that. Cause he's like, look at me, I'm doing modernism. <laughs> hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. I'm doing modernism. And then I'm, I'm doing modernism over here. <laughs> Hey. hey, and then the poem. This part of the poem ends with him yelling at somebody to keep his dog out of there. Yes, 
Because, yes, because there's a corpse buried in the garden. Yeah, because he's going to dig up the, where the corpse is. Can you just read that last line there? I just want, and can you do the voice? Oh, please? sure. I'll start. I'll give the run up. Um, he's yelling sure. at Stetson. Uh, oh, keep the dog far hence. That's friend to men. Or with his nails, he'll dig it up again. You, hypocrite lecteur, mon semblable, mon frere. <laughs> Thank you. They fought a lot of World War One in France. That's maybe why he made yeah. it French. Yeah, yeah, that's that's oh, my take. Oh, 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 keep your dog out of my garden. Oh, that corpse you planted last year in your garden <laughs> has it begun to sprout? Will it bloom this year, Stetson? Stetson, you're just like giving me the chef from The Little Mermaid, and I appreciate it a lot. Um, yeah, a, a game of chess is part. Katie two. in the chat says it's like being in France, which <laughs> yes, exactly. I aim to please. A game of chess um, it starts in a fancy lady's room. It's a very fancy room because it's got a seven-branch candelabra uh, and a lot of stuff reminds you of other fancy stuff. Uh, he goes. It's he talks, like a poem. He talks about this fancy <laughs> it's room. It's like a poem trying to remind me of other fancy stuff in it. There's a lot of fancy imagery here. I don't know. There, there is um, a reference to Philomel... Um, uh, the change of Philomel by the barbarous king so rudely forced. Um, that's that is a reference here, and you're kind of I don't know if you're meant to draw some sort of connection to this woman and Philomel. I've seen that in a few other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is like nervous and ang- this stuff feels to me reading about Elliot's biography the most like related to his marriage was that your response looking back i don't know if you i this po this one doesn't really start popping off to me until we meet uh who is it later the person who's married to albert oh lil yeah lil. yeah so, until we meet lil so i kind of i don't okay. really have a response to anything until we start talking to lil okay sure um so the the scene before the Lil scene, um, and I, I don't know if this is separate people. I, do, I don't know. Um, it's modernism, baby. Maybe it is. Maybe it ain't. But the woman. Think the, what you want. The Philomel woman says, my nerves Disillusionment, are. Disillusionment, baby. <laughs> my nerves are bad tonight. Yes, bad. Stay with me. Speak to me. Why do you know? That stay with me. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt myself. Um, the stay with that made me think of waiting for Godot there I don't know my brain turned on to like the first half of the 20th century art brain and I was just like pulling references just like the poem does I guess anyway wow um what are you thinking of what thinking what I never know what you're thinking think uh and this is all in quotes it is this anxious woman talking to speaker in the poem somebody else who talks not in quotations and i presume is talking to the reader and not to her because she's like what are you thinking and he get and i presume he because it's elliot but maybe not i think we are in rat's alley where the dead men lost their bones but that's not in quote so it's probably not being said back to her um what is that noise she said um do you remember nothing she says and the poet just talks to themselves uh, are you alive or not? Is there nothing in your head? And then we get, oh, 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 that Shakespearean rag. It's so e- elegant, so intelligent. I guess he has a song in his head. And again, she is like... Lo- that, does, 
<laughs> I am thinking of the Shakespearean rare. <laughs> oh, oh, it's oh, so that's Shakespeare. so intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's actually what it might be. I'm not. I think, I mean, that's what, yeah. Because there's a lot of references to, to Elliot in this poem also being of like the early jazz age and of like ragtime music and rags and things like, you know, there's a lot of the like smashing up of quote unquote lowbrow and highbrow in here. So that's probably what that is. Um, listening to Alec Guinness say, oh, 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 that Shakespearean rag was really <laughs> wonderful. Um, and that I would scene- love, I don't go ahead. I haven't really seen Alec Guinness in that much other stuff. So I know that he's good in the Star War. He's great in the Star War. But I would, it would be a pleasure to experience him not, like, like doing something that he was enthusiastic about, let's say. <laughs> sure. Uh, what I would love to see him in a production of Cats. Hmm. Just putting that out okay. there. Okay. Yeah. Anybody has a time machine or magic that can make that happen. Obi-Wan cat. The Jedi cat. <laughs> the the Jedical ball. Um Jedical cat. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. Um <laughs> a young Jedi named Anakin Skywalker. When when Lil's husband got demobbed, I said, I didn't mince my words. I said to her myself, Hurry up, please, it's time. Now Albert's coming back. Make yourself a bit smart. He'll want to know what you done with that money he gave you to get yourself some teeth. He did. I was there. You have them all out, Lil, and get a nice set. He said, I swear, I can't bear to look at you. And, and no more can I, I said. And think of poor Albert. He's been in the army four years. He wants a good time. And if you don't give it to him, there's others will, I said. Who oh, is there, she said. Something of that, I said. Then I'll know who to thank, she said. And give me a straight look. Hurry up, please. It's time. If you don't like it, you can get on with it, I said. Others can pick and choose if you can't. But if Albert makes off, it won't be for lack of telling. You ought to be ashamed, I said, to look so antique, and her only 31. I can't help it, she said, pulling a long face. It's them pills I took to bring it off, she said. She's had five already and nearly died of young George. The chemist said it would be all right, but I've never been the same. You are a proper fool, I said. Well, if Albert won't leave you alone, there it is, I said. What you get married for if you don't want children? Hurry up, please. It's time. And it continues for a little bit longer like that. So this is Lil uh-huh. talking to uh, another person in a bar. Yep. About her husband, Albert, who's coming back from the old war. Mm-hmm. Which one? Is it? Is it World War One? Is it like the Battle of Thermopylae? Like, who knows? <laughs> it's modernism, baby. <sighs> Uh, but yeah, she's she's 31. She's had five kids. Her body is messed up because she took a, a 1920s abortion pills. Yep, 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 yep. And yeah, just I, I really I, I I liked the the rhythm of this. Yeah, like the the sort of continue. Like nobody is speaking. It's all sort of. Just being, it's like fly on the wall narration. Yes, and the hurry up, please. Though, it's you, time. Still, though you still get like I said, I said, but uh-huh. it's it's still like this, just this one big blob of text in a way that I that was appealing to me. Yes, um, because it, it feels like someone, it feels like the two of them telling story, telling things secondhand to each other, even though it might actually be the poet telling it secondhand to us. It's kind of neat, and then the- I mean, it almost, it almost feels like barflies having a conversation that they've had a million oh, times yeah. before. And like and nobody's really listening because they're all there to get wasted. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, uh-huh. 
Because uh-huh. they're, I mean, they're there at closing time. The the hurry up, please, it's time is the bartender. Yes. Being like one last call for alcohol. Uh huh. Uh huh. As in the the semisonic song. And it's it's all in like it's in all caps, and so you can feel it kind of popping out from their dialogue. And then it ends with like good night, Bill. Good night, Lou. Good night, May. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night, sweet lady. Like it has this fun little like, and that scene's winding down. Um, yeah, that that's that that is a, a Lil's husband ain't home, and Lil has five children and Lil is out in the bar drinking and talking to Albert about what she did with her teeth money. And so like, who's, who's where are the kids? Uh-huh. <laughs> and what's, what's like, this is in the back half of the second part of this poem that opened with like the notion of April is here to mess you up. We've been dealing with this stuff since antiquity. And it's like, no, let's zero in on, a contemporary story like this these are characters now like it is not highfalutin it feels like patter it feels like uh kind of vaudevillian patter rhythmically Mm -hmm. um and yeah that's just what this poem is up to because then like the next section is the the fire sermon the fire sermon uh the river's tent is broken the last ling- fingers of leaf clutch and sink into the wet bank the wind crosses the brown land unheard the nymphs are departed sweet thames run softly till i end my song and you're like well the the land sucks <laughs> we're all dead <laughs> uh as as nell points out in the chat sweet ladies good night good night has some uh like ophelia overtones as well um from hamlet yeah there's a lot of stuff like that I think, okay, I don't remember where else it is in the poem, but there's all this stuff about the Fisher King from the Arthurian legend that's part of this. Sure. Um, He opens his notes, Elliot does, by saying, not only the title, but the plan and a good deal of the incidental symbolism were suggested by Miss Jessie L. Weston's book on the Grail legend from ritual to romance. Um Indeed, so deeply am I indebted, her book will elucidate the difficulties of the poem much better than my notes could do. Thanks, bud. Um, And so I think some of the Wasteland stuff is supposed to be this, like, this, like, little story about the Fisherman King not being able to have an heir and, like, and so the king, his kingdom is wasting away. Um, That is, like, the core metaphor. There's not even really plot to speak of. So... All of the stuff here is like bolted onto that central thing sure. that he read in a book once and thought was cool. <laughs> but then you hit like weird, like twit, 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 jug, 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 yeah. like this Rick and Morty like, <laughs> nonsense, <laughs> rhythmic nonsense. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, this is why I brought up the, <laughs> this is why I brought up. The Fisherman King, because some of that's the Fisher King, um, sure. the Fishman King, because some of that is in this fire sermon section where he's talking about the king, my brother's wreck, the king, my de- my father's death before him. He's talking about rats eating people. And then, yeah, then he, what is twit, 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 jug, 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 jug? I mean, I think it sounds like a new dance, dance craze. Twit, 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 jug, 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 jug. So rudely forced. And like you play it at your wedding and everybody hates it, but they have to do it. Oh, God. It's Andrew's wedding. We have to do the twit, twit, jug, 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 huh? <laughs> everybody get on the floor. 
<laughs> Unreal City. <laughs> um, there's a stanza here that I think is a reference to time that Elliot spent uh, at a hotel hanging out with uh, Mr. Pound, maybe. Um, he wrote this poem. Just, just watching HGTV, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> he wrote this poem while he was on some sort of like... Uh, yeah, I know <laughs> we had some jokes about therapy for white men not being invented yet but he was at some sort of like recovery space he'd had some sort of like nervous breakdown or, or something and then like came out of it with a 19 page poem but i mean if you're talking about 1922 like Yo, the therapy yeah. was we're either going to move you somewhere else because we think the air is better there or we're gonna put you in a tiny room and throw away the key until yes. you seem better yes yes like it's not it's not it's not a lot of nuance to the treatment regimens that are available to people no probably not um so then we get teresius uh and teresius in this the old man with wrinkled female breasts yes from ovid and greek myth he's i was introduced to teresius in antigone in high school and that there's there's a lot more interesting stuff about teresius than is in that play (laughs) Um, and this is the Teresius we get. Yeah, that he, I think it's because like he was turned into a woman and then back again in myth or something, and so he's mm-hmm. this kind of, uh, you know, figure that represents, uh, men and women, um, interchangeably. Um, I Teresius, old man with wrinkled dugs. Is dugs like, yeah, is uh-huh. dugs euphemism for boobies? I think dugs is boobies. Okay. Um all right. Yeah. Never never heard that one before. Um I had not either. I I inferred it from the reading. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean maybe maybe he's talking about his house. Uh like his digs. <laughs> my wrinkled digs. <laughs> <laughs> um he says in his notes, Tiresias, although a mere spectator and not indeed a character, is yet the most important personage in the poem, uniting all the rest. Just as the one-eyed merchant seller of currents melts into the Phoenician sailor and the latter is not wholly distinct from the from Ferdinand Prince of Naples, so all the women are one woman and the two sexes meet in Tiresias. What Tiresias sees, in fact, is the substance of the poem. Then what we get is Tiresias seeing a story about a typist woman who has sad sex with a jerk who leaves after sex. Like a, like a boring man. Two boring people have boring sex. That's what Teresius saw. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know anything about that. Uh, so uh, Tyler suggested in the chat, twit could be meaningless conversations and jug could be a drinking reference. To huh. which Nell agrees. Yeah. Uh, Nora and Emma both say that they know Doug's from Into the Woods. And Stephanie agrees that Doug's is breasts. I love having fact checkers in the chat. No, no, it's great. Um, it's way better than the normal thing, which is just to be wrong and to put it on tape and then put it out on the internet for everybody to hear. Um, and so, yeah, we have this kind of very modern concern about the mundanity and inane, inane, inanity, inane in the membrane um, up in here for this woman who comes home from being a clerk. And then is visited by a guy and they have sex and it's sad. Uh, 
the line about this that stood out to me, her brain allows one half-formed thought to pass. Well, now that's done, and I'm glad it's over. When lovely woman stoops to folly and paces about her room again alone, she smooths her hair with automatic hand and puts a record on the gramophone. I liked the automatic hand thing. There's like some idea of uh, her being her work and things like that that feel very, you know, industrial era moving forward, alienation mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and also this whole passage is in rhyming um, like AB format. So it's like pretty standard, which I think is a little bit of it's you know, a romantic interlude. And so it's going to conform to that. But as you said, also, he was like kind of keen on doing that stuff, it seems. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it got kind of beaten out of the poem. (laughs) Um, Then we get this, like, there's a guy singing a song. There's somebody playing the mandolin, singing a song. Way-la-la-la-la, way-la-la-la-la-la. Isn't this the, the bit of the poem that's about, like, Queen Victoria having sex with somebody? Is that what it's about? I think so. I mean, I was reading Spark Notes, and that's what they suggested. Dang! Okay, yeah. I thought it was just a guy singing a song about a boat, but modernism. I mean, you get you get into some like wor- words drifting down a page in here. The river sweats, oil and tar. The barges drift with the turning tide. Red sails wide to leeward, swing on the heavy spat. The barges wash drifting logs down Greenwich Breach, past the Isle of Dogs. Way la la, way way la la lea. Wa-la-la-la-la-la. I'm making sure I'm <laughs> getting every <laughs> syllable. Yeah, it's, it's something. I think some of that, let me see. He had references for it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that stuff. I, the other, So the other thing I like about the footnotes, yeah. other than that he put it in because he had to to make the book long enough was that he kind of was messing with people like with the tarot cards yep, stuff yep. and which is like not annotating some other stuff yeah his annotations are messed up yeah they don't explain themselves they just like hey i read this thing over here this is some dante stuff whatever dare i yeah. dare you to prove me wrong <laughs> yeah it's some real like not 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 trying to be helpful yeah then we get these um little quotes of people that sort of sound like, I don't know, the by Richmond, I raised my knees, supine on the floor of a narrow canoe, my feet are at Moorgate, my heart. Are, is that you? Is that the sex stuff? I don't know. Maybe that's. Hmm. I mean, it's modernism. Any of it could be sex stuff, baby. Yeah. That's just, we're, we're trying to get that's just science, baby, going. Maybe that should be. That's just modernism. That's just baby. modernism, baby. Um, I like. Section four. <laughs> have more catchphrases. I like section four, death by water, because it's okay. It's because it's short. It's short and straightforward. I'm going to read the whole thing. You tell <laughs> me what you good, think it's about. A guy died. Phlebas the Phoenician, a fortnight dead. Forgot right, he's the been car- dead for two weeks. Forgot the- so far. So oh, far. we're going to go line by line. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phlebas the Phoenician, a fortnight dead. Forgot the cry of gulls and the deep sea swell and the profit and the loss. Yeah, because he's dead. He doesn't know any of that stuff anymore. Great. A current under sea picked his bone in whisper his bones and whispers okay his bones are getting picked because he's uh because he's dead as he rose and fell he passed the stages of his age and youth entering the whirlpool i mean that's probably like 
not meant to be taking taken literally like rosen like probably drifting around in the currents yeah maybe like the stages of his age like he is like thinking about his life as he's going under maybe i don't even know if he's thinking he's just like I, he's dead his bones are being picked well he's in the current under sea yeah gentile or jew oh you who turn the wheel and look to windward so that's like everyone he's saying Oh, you who turned the wheel and looked to windward, I believe... He's saying everyone, but he did have to get a reference to Jews in there, I guess. But it doesn't mean anything. Also, he Don't is a about super like, conservative Christian uh, in some ways, and so those are the only two religions he could probably even consider. Yeah, yeah. Like the, I mean, that, that that's just I a don't know. handy way to refer to everyone, <laughs> is, Which is Jews weird. and everyone else. It's, it's weird, because he's also got a lot... I don't know, anyway... Um, Oh, you who turn the wheel and look to windward. That, I believe, is like, oh, you who would set out on adventures. You person who thinks there are things to accomplish in the world that, and that mm-hmm. you can have them. Consider yeah. Phlebas, who was once handsome and tall as you. Don't do anything. He might die. <laughs> Try to be happy, baby. <laughs> Try to be happy, baby. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of, it's like, don't ever get too big for your britches, because you might just fall in the ocean and die. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. And then there's, there's, then there's part five, What the Thunder Said, which I feel like is the name of a book that you would read in fifth grade about, like, horses or something. <laughs> uh, this kind of d- delivers a little bit uh, on the vibe set forth by Death by Water. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's a lot of like after everything is done after after the torchlight red on sweaty faces after the frosty silence in the gardens the agony in stony places the shouting and the crying after like life is done he who was living is now dead we who were living are now dying with a little patience that's a that's a really good line um, wait for it and then he goes on to talk about how the, all that's left is rock there's no water and it'd be great it would be awesome if there is water like what if there are water it would be cool if there is water any water a spring water just some water somewhere but no it's only rock. yeah and he's just really going to great lengths to depict just like the absence of everything there is not even silence in the mountains but dry sterile thunder without rain there is not even solitude in the mountains but red sullen faces sneer and snarl from doors of mud crack houses if there were water and then he goes on to talk about how cool it would be if there were water um, awesome if there is water. Part four is like there's too much water. So a guy, a guy died in it. And part five is like oh, there's not enough water. There should be part six where there's just enough, water. just enough water. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a section on the next page that is about walking to Emmaus, and Jesus may or may not have come back from the dead. You catch that one? Mm-mm. Um, uh, when I look. Ahead up the white road, there's always another one walking beside you. Um, oh, it's like footprints. It's like the foot. Yes, it's like the it's like the footprints. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That was him. That was him. <laughs> Who was on that other side of you? Um, so that's a reference. And then he does the thing where he talks about all the cities that have fallen: Jerusalem, Athens, Alexandria, Vienna, London. Unreal. Oh, we're back to the Unreal City. Back to the Unreal thing. Um, I don't know what to make of this stuff about. It's kind of a nightmare. 
like the bats with the baby faces. A woman drew her long black hair out tight and fiddled whisper music on those strings and bats with baby faces in the violet light whistled and beat their wings and crawled head downward down a blackened wall and upside down in air were towers tolling reminiscent bells that kept the hours and voices singing out of empty cisterns and exhausted wells and this decayed hole among the mountains in the faint moonlight the grass is singing over the tumbled graves about the chapel there is the empty chapel only the wind's home it has no windows and the door swings dry bones can harm no one only a cock stood on the roof tree coco rico coco rico in a flash of lightning then a damp gust bringing rain oh hey water's here water's here but all of us are gone I, I like guess. that it rhymes for a while, and then it's like, eh, I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of this poem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then the thunder arrives, and I did like this part, just from a, like, a structural perspective. This is a thing that the poem gets to do, because it's a poem. Um, then spoke the thunder, da data and then what have we given my friend and he goes on and then he the poet the thunder strikes again da diadvam and then you then he gets this thing where we think of the key each in his prison thinking of the key each confirms a prison i was like am i in a prison um and then we hear about a broken coriolanus <laughs> and then the thunder hits again da damiata the boat responded gaily and then where i think then i think we're back to the fisher king sitting on the shore wondering about his wasteland and how it will never grow again. Uh, there's some other uh, quotes here. Uh, and then it ends on the Dada Diadvam Damiata stuff, which I looked up is give sympathize control mm-hmm. in a Sanskrit, I think. And then it ends on Shanti, 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 which means as he, as he puts it, the peace that passeth all understanding. And you is this like the tarot cards where he made it up, or is that a real? I that a real think thing? he says it's a real thing. Um, what does he say here? Uh, I do. I mean, I do like that we get in London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. Uh, these fragments I have shored against my ruins. Just getting back to like dilapidation and. And uh, wasteland. <laughs> well, yeah, Shanti, Shanti, Shanti is more is more Sanskrit, um, and it does mean that some version of peace. It's like one of those kind of like supposed to be a little untranslatable. We don't have a word for it. Things, um, and yeah, the the peace at the end of this poem is a king that whose kingdom will forever be dead, and it that's it. We're done now the world will never go back to the way that it was and nothing can grow out of it. Cause there's just thunder and a sad King. But also that lady has a sad marriage and, yeah. and some people had some sex. Yeah. I mean, if you think, I mean, I can see why in the immediate aftermath of the first world war, you'd be like, nothing can grow from this again. Yeah. But We're getting a lot he of, just, he just, he has, he just had to, Live long enough to see the go-go 80s, you know? Oh, my God. If only he had. If only he had lived to see the go-go 80s instead of dying from emphysema, which I think is what he died from. If only he had lived long enough to see those shoulder pads and those blazers. Uh, A lot of folks in the chat, you know, talking about Shanti in various scripture. 
um, uh, Hindu scripture, uh, Psalms ish, the Bible, etc. Um, and I, I feel there is like at the end of this poem, I feel like this is a thing. It's an example of why poetry speaks to people. Like you could reach the end of a, of one reading of this, depending on how you're feeling and be like, find that ending calming, or you could find it kind of despair inducing. It can be both modernism. Modernism, baby. I, I, I mean, I think it's, that to, to go all the way back to April's A Cruelest Month, and then we've successfully talked about a poem for an hour. So good job, Andrew Craig. Yeah. Uh, high fives all around. Um, I mean, that that metaphor of of like growth and, and renewal is complicated because like yeah. I said when I was talking about the go-go 80s is kind of a joke. <laughs> <laughs> like it, I mean, then this was a theme in like the in Station Eleven, which I know was yeah. a, a show that like resonated with you. It's yep. like whether you are, whether you see these seasons or or this these like ruins or or the this like end of things, whether you see it as a bad thing and like the end of something or a new thing and the start of something, like could depend on your perspective. You know, it's yeah. it's yeah. From his point of view, somebody who lived through all of this stuff and maybe has some kind of nostalgia for things that came before, like yeah, it's probably hard to yeah, there's to see the the good that can that can mm-hmm. spring out of of bad stuff because somebody in the in the chat mentioned World War who was it it was uh, I don't want to steal their thing Nell mentioned uh, very World War One vibes also COVID vibes yeah <laughs> like, yeah for sure. It would be, in some ways, comforting to to think maybe our our current misery makes something better or something good for somebody in a time far hence that we cannot even like conceive of mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Be, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I don't. It, it's, it's I'm stretching to be the optimist. No, I, I on the podcast, but like that's that's where I am. Well, and and what spoke thinking to about me, how this like connects to our current times? You yeah, know? what spoke to me so much about Station Eleven was was a lot of the feeling of like, what do we, what do we do with the past when what we have to live through is the present, and like a lot of the different characters had very different opinions about their relationship to the past, and I. I that what that show was doing with that really spoke to me. I think this is that some of the stuff I've read about Elliot and not, not just the, like, was he an anti-Semite or not, but just like in general seems like there's a strain of like kind of conservatism and like not for, for someone who is responsible for this, like new frontier of what poetry became in, in our modern understanding of it. He does, you know, have this strain of like, I don't know, man, all the best times are gone. <laughs> like, and the world will never be the same. And, and that can be a, a, the, the root of that can be all sorts of things, um, that don't just have to be a response to World War One and don't just have to be rooted in whatever his religious faith was and all sorts of things. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably why this poem and and some of his other stuff has like stood out to folks because it is so grab baggy and yet 
distills into a couple really interesting images. Um, what are the other poems that you wanted to talk about since you did some other reading? The one, the one that I liked the most, and there were a couple <laughs> ones that really popped for me, but the one that I liked the most in here is called uh, Hysteria. Okay. And it's a, it's sort of a big block of text. It's not like trying to rhyme or anything. As she laughed, I was aware of becoming involved in her laughter and being part of it until her teeth were only accidental stars with a talent for squad drill. I was drawn in by short gasps, inhaled at each momentary recovery, lost finally in the dark caverns of her throat, bruised by the ripple of unseen muscles. An elderly waiter with trembling hands was hurriedly spreading a pink and white check cloth over the rusty green iron table, saying, If the lady and gentleman wish to take their tea in the garden, if the lady and gentleman wish to take their tea in the garden, I decided that if the shaking of her breast could be stopped, some of the fragments of the afternoon might be collected, and I concentrated my attention with careful subtlety to this end. The thing I like about Hysteria is is a couple of people making a scene in a restaurant and trying to be ushered out. And this guy thinks, maybe if I grab these boobies, <laughs> we can get this afternoon back on track. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. All right. That's fun. You didn't read. Did you read Proof Rock? What did you think about Proof Rock? I don't know that Proof Rock is in this one. Here, let me. T- if I did read it, it did not make as much of an impression on me as the cool one about the laughing lady and her boobies. Okay, okay. It's like I, I think- apologize for that, but I can only do myself. <laughs> I also like the hippopotamus, which juxtaposes a hippopotamus with the church, <laughs> which is good. Sure. Okay. Um, if we didn't say like one one of the other that like kind of image of a radio broadcast from over the mountains. Like there's quotes from Elliot, like April is the coolest month that like you have probably heard and have been used countlessly without anybody citing them in the same way that he doesn't adequately cite his own stuff. Uh, Like this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Um, That's from the hollow men. Do I dare disturb the universe is from proof rock. Um, this, there's other, there's like the other one from this one is like, can you see fear in a handful of dust or something? Um, so yeah. I have proof rocks the first poem in this. Yeah. I'm sure you read it, but then you you had to get like, yeah, I've been watching a lot of formula one lately and they have to get their sure so this made me think of my yard and this made you think of formula One. no your experience of reading this book (laughs) um they have to get their tires like warm before they can get up to speed so like you probably used proof rock to like get your brain just like jump right into proof rock you know yeah it's called the (laughs) outlaugh when you're coming out of the pit you get your tires warmed up um anyway thanks hysteria is about for talking with me about the space waste space land andrew yeah not wasteland not the wasteland um two words we are out here in the fields i fight for my meals i get back into my living i don't need to fight to prove i'm right i don't need to be forgiven is this eminem my kids ain't gonna break my heart my greed ain't gonna spoil their part this land just has to be a new one i'm gonna tan underneath a new sun don't cry andrew don't raise your eye it's only teenage wasteland (laughs) all right you've been sitting on that one for long bud yeah it's it's one of the 15 tabs that i've had open this about 20 tabs i've had open this whole time i mean i at least thought about 
take me down to the unreal city like as we were recording i didn't i didn't come locked and loaded with a joke that i couldn't find out how to fit into the show organically so i just did it at the end yeah i've been thinking about it since we programmed the book and i didn't tweet about it because i wanted to say it to you on air (laughs) my issue is not with the joke but only i guess with the deployment of it I can only be me. Lordy, lordy. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out in our wasteland. Uh, You can send us an email about your interpretations of the poem Hysteria. Um, Andrews is the only one that's correct, though. Uh, At OverduePod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at OverduePod. What? Our theme song is by Nick Larangis, um, which is, you know, who knows? It's probably a reference (laughs) to something. Uh, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where t- should they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. We have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. If you want to read The Wasteland along with us, uh, we will uh, link it up to a, w- with a collection that includes a bunch of other ones, including Proof Rock and Hysteria and, and The Hippopotamus and many other mm-hmm. many other bangers. Um patreon.com slash overdupod if you're listening to this in real time you already know about it but if you'd like to sit in on our bonus recordings go there and uh give us a little bit of money help us pay for books and hosting and uh like student loans and child care and all kinds of fun stuff and you get a, access to a bunch of stuff early including access to the chat here which is always a good time yeah that's it um oh i can unveil our may schedule um which will be posting up on social by the time this hits the main feed it'll be actually mm-hmm. happening by the time it hits the main feed um we are going to start with how to train your dragon by cresta cowell that was our first patron's choice vote thanks to the patrons who helped us pick that book uh followed that by circle of magic number one sandry's book aka the magic and the weaving by tamara pierce then fences by august wilson then the first in the Bridgerton series, The Duke and I by Julia Quinn. I hear that people have feelings about Bridgerton, Andrew. Uh, I've, I've heard that, yes. And then we're going to close out with A Gentleman in Moscow by Immortals. Um, I will learn if that's how you say Amor's last name. Uh, it could be Tolls. Uh, and then the Goosebumps series episodes one and two will be on the main feed in May as well. I think that's all of them. Thanks again to our patrons and thanks to the patrons in the chat. It was super fun. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out gang. Uh, Until we talk to you next time, try to be happy, baby. That was a HeadGum Podcast.